God, we are saying, please accept our prayers and grant us a good year. And though our prayers ought to be joined with crying, today we rejoice in acknowledgement of the spiritual potential that you have given us. And so instead, God, you who listens to the shofar, accept the horn's cry as our own. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 282, Joy and Tears on Rosh Hashanah. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. How do babies cry? Do they have an accented inflection depending on their origin? Or is every cry the same? A fascinating piece in Scientific American informs us as follows, quote, A new study in the journal Current Biology shows that the babies actually sound different because the melody of an infant's cry matches its mother tongue. We all know that babies start eavesdropping while they're still in the womb, so when they come out, they know their mother's voice. When they're older, they start to imitate the sounds they hear. Eventually, they babble and then start to speak, and then you never hear the end of it. But long before that first burble or coo, babies are learning the elements of language. A team of scientists recorded the cries of 60 newborns, 30 born into French-speaking families, and 30 that heard German. And they found that French infants wail on a rising note, while the Germans favor a falling melody. Those patterns match the rhythms of their native languages. So next time you hear a baby, listen closely. He could be telling you where he's from. End quote. This interesting article provides a meaningful metaphor for the shofar, the sounding of which on Rosh Hashanah is the symbol of the holiday, and which has been taken by Jewish tradition to embody a cry to God. God, we say, hearkens to our prayers on this sacred day because he is shomea kol churat amo Yisrael barachamim. He hears with mercy the shofar cry of his people Israel. My colleague Rabbi Dov Lerner has noted that especially given how verbal and text-oriented Jewish culture usually is, the very wordlessness of the shofar's cry is part of its power, or as he put it in an excellent article in Mosaic, quote, During the high holy days, Jews are hardly at a loss for words, but at one point they purposefully lose them, choosing speechlessness in a profound recognition that for human beings, the road to moral repair begins in confronting their base cravings and their inborn capacity to fail, end quote. This is beautifully put and allows, I think, another question to present itself. If we can cry, even as children, even as newborns, why do we utilize a horn to do it for us? Why not, on Rosh Hashanah, cry ourselves? One answer might be that on Rosh Hashanah we face a conflict of emotions and that the shofar helps us navigate them in a complex way. And in seeing how this is so, we turn to one Rosh Hashanah overseen by Ezra and Nehemiah. As we saw yesterday, Ezra and Nehemiah assembled the Israelites on the first day of the seventh month the day that will come to be called Rosh Hashanah. And they read the Torah aloud. Chapter 8, verse 8. So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tirshatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. In other words, hearing the various laws of God read aloud, excruciatingly aware of the fact that they had violated these laws, the assembled Judahites begin to weep. And the Israelites perhaps are making manifest as well the fact that this day is, in the Jewish calendar, taken to be a day of judgment. But interestingly, as the cries crescendo, they are informed by the Levites not to wail aloud, not to express contrition through crying. Verse 10, Then he said unto them, Go your way. Eat, 
fatty meat and drink sweet drinks and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorrowful, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people saying, hold your peace for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. This passage has profoundly impacted the way that Jews celebrate Rosh Hashanah. On the one hand, it is considered the beginning of the days of awe. And in Ashkenazic liturgy, worshippers will intone the frightening words of Unetana Tokef, Mi yechyehu mi yamut, who will live and who will die, mi v'kitso, mi lo v'kitso, who in his time and who not in his time. And yet Rosh Hashanah is also a day of eating sweet things, of celebration. For built into the message of the day are themes that rightly understood inspire ebulence. That God is creator and king over all the earth and desires us to participate in his annual coronation. That he has created us in his image and thereby endowed us with profound moral capacity, as well as the ability to repent, to change, to renew ourselves, just as those gathered on Rosh Hashanah with Ezra and Nehemiah underwent repentance and renewal. To ponder that we are judged by God is indeed terrifying, but we are informed by the Bible. Terror is not the operative emotion of the sacred day. The words said to the assembled Israelites are exquisite and uplifting. Al teatzvu, do not be sad. Ki Hashem hima uschem, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Today, in fact, the implication of this passage is codified by certain rabbis who insist, based on this text, that it is forbidden to weep on Rosh Hashanah. Jews who celebrate Rosh Hashanah, therefore, are forced to face a dialectic, dueling themes that seem to contradict each other. On the one hand, On this day, we coronate our Creator as King of the universe. We take part as members of His court. We highlight the spiritual gifts that He has bestowed upon us. How can we not rejoice? On the other hand, it is a day of judgment. In Hebrew, a yom hadin, when in the words of the Talmud, the sifrei chayim umetim, the books of the living and the dead, lie open before the Almighty. How can we not wail? We are now, I think, able to understand why it is precisely on Rosh Hashanah that the shofar is sounded. The shofar, perhaps, represents us before God. It serves as our spiritual proxy. It cries for us. In the days that follow Rosh Hashanah, leading up to Yom Kippur, we are called to cry, to bewail our sins, to accompany our prayers for repentance with a proper sadness and contrition. But on Rosh Hashanah, we are perhaps effectively saying, Almighty God, we are praying to you for a good year, and we ought to be crying when we ask for mercy. But because on this joyous day, it is inappropriate to cry. Therefore, we join our prayers to the cries of the shofar, which will act as our representative before you, joining its cries to the words of our prayers. Or as Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik put it, and this is my translation, we pray to God with the words from our mouth and with the shofar, which is prayer in its very essence. The shofar of Rosh Hashanah has many interpretations, and we have seen the various themes involved in the clarion call of the ram's horn in our journey throughout the Bible. It is an instrument of coronation. It is a trumpet of liberty. It is a call to war. It is the awe-inspiring sound of Sinai. And then there is Maimonides' explanation for the shofar, and it is a famous one. Remez Yeshbo writes Maimonides. The shofar contains a hint, which is, Uru yishenim mishenatchem unirdamim mitardei matchem v'chipsu b'masichem Wake up, sleepers from your slumber. Rise, nappers from your dozing. Examine your actions. Repent. Maimonides' point is that we are voluntarily, spiritually asleep. We are spiritual somnambulous, and the shofar is meant to provide a jolt of complacency. 
It is the Almighty's way of startling us from our slumber. To say that we are asleep is to express that we are often ignorant of our true worth, our true capacity, of the spiritual gifts with which God has bequeathed us to impact and change our lives and the lives of those around us. Our spiritual slumber is the source of our moral inadequacy. And if our failures are compared to sleep, then the solution is waking up, approaching our own selves with a renewed appreciation, embracing life with an inspired alacrity, driven by the moral and spiritual worth with which every human being is endowed. And that is part of why we celebrate on the new year. In realizing our capacity for renewal, we rejoice. As Ezra and Nehemiah put it, the joy of the Lord is our strength. But in waking up and facing our failings, we also need to cry. And thus the shofar not only wakes us up, it also wails on our behalf. Thus the liturgy of Rosh Hashanah plaintively states, May our prayers be pleasing to you, we say to God. You, O God, who hears our shofar blasts. What is the connection between these two phrases, between the fact that we want God to accept our prayers and the fact that he listens to the sounding of the shofar? God, we are saying, please accept our prayers and grant us a good year. And though our prayers ought to be joined with crying, today we rejoice in acknowledgement of the spiritual potential that you have given us. And so instead, God, you who listens to the shofar, accept the horn's cry as our own. One of the most moving readings of Rosh Hashanah is Jeremiah's description of Rachel Mavaka Albanah, our matriarch Rachel crying for her children, followed by God's assurance to her that her progeny's return from exile will ultimately occur. As we read those words on that day, we feel as if our matriarch is crying then for us and that the shofar reflects her cry. It is haunting to think of the shofar echoing our matriarch's cries throughout history just as babies themselves reflect what they know subconsciously from their mothers. The shofar's cry mixing with the sweet foods of Rosh Hashanah highlights the many themes of Rosh Hashanah, a day that in its layered complexity packs an elemental power, reminding us of the fragility of life, but also of our moral capacity, of our many failings, but also of our potential for renewal, and that even in the face of our many regrets, it is ultimately the joy of God that is our strength. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together next week. Wishing you a Shabbat Shalom. Signing off.